Lord, thank you for your nearness. Thank you for breaking into this place as we are worshiping you. We sensed it, Lord. There was a moment where you came and you gave us faith to believe that, that genuinely every chain could be broken in Jesus. We thank you that where you are, it, anything is possible. And we thank you that you have chosen to reveal yourself through the scriptures so that your people could be trained, encouraged, strengthened, um, and many times uh, corrected, rebuked, but Lord, never out of a mean place, but out of a place of I have so much for you if you will walk in my ways. And so I thank you for the scriptures that we are gonna open this morning. We do ask that you would speak to us now as you've continued to speak through us throughout this whole morning. And we'll give you all the glory and all the honor and all of the praise in Jesus' mighty name. We said amen. We said amen. Hallelujah. So this morning, you know, it's, it's a Good Friday uh, is coming. Does this thing work, J-Bone? Yes, it does. Yes. And uh, just, just want to propose to you that what made Jesus' entry, sorry, I'm going to mess this up, but I'll put it back. What made his, his Palm Sunday, for those of you who are s- sort of aware of maybe the church calendar, it's the week, uh, it kicks off Holy Week, where we journey with Jesus in his final week. But that week was kicked off when he rode the humble donkey to the city of the king. And the prophetic acts of overturning tables, essentially stopping the entire, entire temple system, sacrificial system, hitting pause on the very life line of the people of Israel, uh, to say, the king is here. And there were shouts and there were palm branches. But what made that act so profound and powerful is Jesus put the principalities and powers that feed off of the weak, the vulnerable, the poor. Jesus put the, the systems that favor the well-off, the rich, the haves. Jesus, by entering into the city on that day, put all systems of injustice and oppression on notice. And when he rode on that humble beast and he overturned the tables, he's saying, I, through my death, which is in just a week, and my resurrection, am changing the entire way humanity will forever relate to God, to themselves, and to others. And Jesus, by entering into that, that Sunday to the shouts of Hosanna, God save us, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And then stopping the temple systems, he's saying, enough already. This temple that housed violent revolutionaries, that kept the Gentiles, that filled up their space, the non-Jews, with their temple systems and money-changing stations. And, you know, because who's going to travel 60, 70 miles? I've been there to Israel with an animal that's probably going to get hurt on the way or get blemished so it wouldn't be a, a, a rightful, uh, acceptable sacrifice. But Jesus, entering into that system, he's saying, stop. The king is here. And what I'm going to do through my life, my death, and my resurrection is going to forever alter history. And what's so significant in Matthew 21 and his account 
those that used to be held at arm distance, the lame, the crippled, the blind, they couldn't go to the temple. He heals in the temple. Which at every turn, I'm not even gonna preach on this, but it's Palm Sunday, so I wanted to give you a three-minute devotional because it is, it is applicable. Jesus is saying to all of us, to his immediate audience and to us throughout the ages, you are now invited to rethink everything in light of who I am as King and Lord and Savior over Israel and over all the earth. And so one of the biggest indictments that Jesus had on the temple system and the priesthood and the, the, you know, the fake King Herod, the, you know, this Hasmonean dynasty that married into the violent revolutionary Judith Maccabeus, and the greatest thing he had against them and against every shepherd and or king or leader of Israel's history is that they were more concerned with themselves than the people they were called to lead. Come on, somebody. And so when Jesus is overturning these tables, he's saying, for once and for all, a leader is going to be installed on David's throne who will have the best interests of the people in mind than just his own pedigree, his own wealth, and his own stature and standing. The good shepherd, the king. And the passage I want us to jump off of in light of what's going to happen 12 chapters later in Matthew 21 is in Matthew chapter 9. So could you stand one more time with me? And I just want us to read this passage out loud together on the count of three. One, two, three, go. Jesus traveled through all the towns and villages of that area, teaching in the synagogues and announcing the good news about the kingdom. And he healed every kind of disease and illness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were confused and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And he said to his disciples, the harvest is great, but the workers are few. So pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest. Ask him to send more workers into his field. Father, we ask that you would now speak to us through your word. Let us enter into this great march that Jesus, that procession on a donkey that has forever altered history and continues to transform history as your people get in alignment with your rulership, with your government, your purposes, and your will. God, align us today with the king on David's throne. We pray this in Jesus' name, and we all said amen and amen. You and I are living, go ahead and have a seat, are living in an unprecedented day where we see the crowds confused. If you agree, say amen. amen. Come on, how many know that crowds, it has a way to energize either the demonic and the principalities and powers and further their agenda, which has human thinking and human all funkiness? How many know you can just turn on any newsreel and you see confusion in the crowds? So the question is, why are the crowds, back to Jesus' indictment over the crowds, why are they confused? I just have three scriptures that are central to this idea of what is it that causes humans to get caught into this cycle of confusion. And the first is Ephesians chapter 2. We're going to do a series on Ephesians starting in Easter, so I'm not going to preach on this long. But read this with me. You used to live in sin, just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil the commander of the powers in the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those 
who refuse to obey God. So how many know one of the reasons the crowds are confused, and maybe you're here today confused, is because the question is, who are you obeying? Did you know that the one to whom you obey, you actually empower that one to govern and rule your life? And so the, 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 the indictment that Paul gives, and I want to save it for three, four weeks from now. We're going to get three weeks from now in Ephesians 2. But the idea of confusion in the crowd is because the crowds, like all of humanity, have decided to trust and obey their own ability to name good and evil instead of trusting the wisdom and knowledge and ways of God. If you agree, say amen. So the crowds are confused, number one, because they're under the influence of a power that is invisible. But even though the power is invisible, the manifestations are anything but invisible. They are very visible, if you agree, say amen, with hatred and anger and prejudice and racism and oppression. Why else are the crowds confused? Paul goes on to say is that Satan has actually blinded the minds of every unbeliever who has not yet come to that place of faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ. So there's this confusion that comes by these invisible principalities and powers. And until a human comes to that encounter with the risen, glorious Jesus and revealed in the gospel, that person's mind is under this fog, this, this, this uh, manipulation to not really see reality as it's meant to be seen. How many know you cannot see life that's intended to be lived until you see life through the one who is life? Jesus Christ, John chapter 1. We keep moving. And then finally, there's this long passage I'm going to skip over in Romans 1 because there's so much good stuff this morning. But Romans 1 is this incredible extended dialogue where humans knew who to worship even by creation's account alone. But instead of worshiping the one to whom all of creation points and Romans 8 says groans, instead of worshiping him, we terminated worship on things we make with our hands, which is to say on the things that are at the other end of our own sinful and selfish desires. Has anyone ever been there? We call it idolatry. And scripture tells us, it says, claiming to be wise, instead because of their wrong worship, they became foolish, confused, right? And so we understand that this confusion is not just, oh, I had a bad day, the crowds, or I, I didn't drink my coffee. Come on, somebody, how many know that is a real thing? It's a real thing in the Bohai house. But Jesus' indictment over the crowds is that when he, when he sees them, remember before he enters into the Jerusalem and he overturns the tables and he, he says, enough with the shepherds and the leaders of Israel. I'm going to be the king. He looks at the crowds and says, they're really confused. Turn to your neighbor and say, they are really confused. And it's easy to get confused with them. But there's also another thing Jesus says in Matthew, if you're there in your Bible with Matthew chapter 9. It says that the crowds are helpless. Say helpless. Now here's the bummer. In our confusion, we reach for any number of opportunities and options to get ourselves out of the confusion. But how many see that word, sort of that word picture that the more you dig, the further you sink? When you try to get yourself and you try to solve the impossible problem of evil just by human ingenuity and thoughtfulness. There's always at some day going to be some guy on a throne who has his interests above the people's interests. So even if we got the right guy or gal or the right this or that, there is still this deep sense over which the crowds, there is a helplessness like a caterpillar in a ring of fire. Help has to come from above. 
Jesus, I mean, there's too many verses to go here. No one can save themselves, amen? We don't just think our way. The myth of progress that was unleashed on the earth in the 18, 1900s, that humans were evolving and sort of God hang out upstairs and we've got the earth, Lord, thanks a lot. It's sort of deism and God's not really involved intricately in the world because of industrial revolution, because of the technology advancements. And we thought we knew better than God. But how many know the myth of human progress that was unleashed under the Enlightenment and now post-Enlightenment is just that. It is a myth. Humans are not going to progress themselves out of what's sin and the remedy of which is Jesus. The only way is not to progress our way out of our problems and to just figure it out. We are helpless apart from help from above. So Jesus looks over the crowds and he says they're confused and they're helpless. Whether they will acknowledge it or not, they are. But Jesus doesn't stop there. Because the issue behind the issue behind the issue is this. There is no sufficient person or no sufficient God leading the confused and helpless crowds. The crowds lack a leader who has God's wisdom and agenda and purposes and ways, and he has the heart for humanity to flourish under his leadership. Jesus says they're confused, they're helpless, and they lack godly life-giving leadership in their life. In other words, they're ruling their own little kingdoms, and that spells disaster for God's good world disaster. And so he says they're like sheep without a shepherd. He knows, Jesus knows that he is limited in his brief three and a half year ministry in his ability to reach all of the people, all of the crowds. He's going around healing and ministering grace. He's demonstrating and proclaiming the kingdom of his father that's breaking in through his own life and ministry. But he knows, look at me, Jesus knows that even after healing the masses and feeding the masses, there's something deeper that is necessary that ongoing transformation happens in the lives of the harassed, confused, helpless crowds. And that is a new leader for your life. He knows that even after he's healing and he's feeding and he's doing all the amazing stuff, we want to see signs and wonders. We want to see the masses fed. But Jesus knows at the end of the day, until you acknowledge that you are not sufficient to rule and lead your own life and submit to his authority, that transformation that you experience in the moment will not continue on into a life of abundance and flourishing. And so he looks, that's good preaching, and he looks at the crowds and he says, Man, they're harassed, they're confused, they're helpless, but more than anything is they do not know that I'm actually the only sufficient one that's capable to lead them into the path that their hearts crave to walk upon. That place of blessing, that place of having relationships restored and functioning as they were designed, that place of where work is not the idol you worship, but it's an instrument for your worship to give glory and honor to Jesus. Come on. And so he looks at the crowds and he looks at our city and he looks at us in this room and he says, which category are you in? Are you in confusion right now? Are you in this sense of helplessness and you don't know how to get yourself out of the prison? Or are you like the majority of us under the guise and the lie of the enemy that you are sufficient to rule and lead your own little life and your own little kingdom? I want you to know the good news is that the good shepherd is taking sheep today. (laughs) That was a good one. 
Because Jesus knows that even if he touches you once and he heals and, he, he, and the check comes and you get the raise and the blessings flow, he knows that ultimately the only way to sustain the life of flourishing and abundance is if he becomes the shepherd that guides and leads our life. He, he loves doing the miraculous. He loves breaking in. He loves making dead things alive. But he knows at the end of the day, the real issue is who is governing and guiding your life. And Jesus is saying today, I will be your good shepherd if you will acknowledge my leadership for your life. I don't have time to go into all of this, but Ezekiel, there's a tons of amazing prophecies. Write it in your notes on the back of your page. That's why we print the back with a lot of lines. Go read Ezekiel 34. It is one long, unbelievable prophecy of the shepherd that was going to come and fulfilled in Jesus. Hallelujah. You just got it all right there, baby. Come on. Jesus is the good shepherd who did not come just to pander to those who had their act together. Come on, somebody say amen to that. He came into the mess and the muck and the mire of human sin, bondage, and brokenness, and he said, I am the doctor who needs healing. I am the savior which sinner needs to be pardoned of their sin. I am the healer who is sick of their own self-inflicted wounds by their own self-destructive habits because I'm a healer. And he seeks those who are sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but I came to call those who are sinners. This is the good shepherd that we see in Jesus. Jesus is the one who leaves the 99. Come on, somebody preach for me. He leaves the 99 to go find the sheep that has wandered off. And verse 13 tells us when he finds it, someone say, finds it. He rejoices over it more than the 99 that didn't wander away. In the same way, read this last part with me. It is not my heavenly Father's will that even one of these little ones should perish. Wow. So even though Jesus realizes the mess that the crowd that we are in, the confusion, the harassment, the helplessness, he looks at the crowd with faith. How many know you can choose what you report? The 10 spies who said we can't take the land infected some 2 million people to disbelieve in God's provision and power and promise. Two guys believe that what God said, God would do. So when we read this verse, that God, when he looks at the crowd and he sees the state of every human heart and condition, he has faith to believe that there are those even in this room who will get gripped by his heart to become those workers that he sends out into the mass of broken humanity, filled with his spirit, living for his purposes, who can bring healing and life to those who so desperately need it. The prophecy of Ezekiel continues. It's amazing. He says, I will search for my lost ones who have strayed away. I'll bring them safely home again. Look at this. This is Jesus. I will bandage the injured and strengthen the weak. But those who are fat and powerful, prophetically speaking, those who think they don't need me, who are busy living out of this world's narrative, I will feed them, yes, but I will feed them justice. Come on, someone say justice. This is Jesus on the day of entering the Jerusalem, turning the tables, executing God's justice 
and declaring God's wisdom over the whole system that was not bringing Israel closer to fulfilling its vocation to bless the world. It was actually taking them farther into exile even though they were in their own land. Jesus alone knew the will and kingdom and purpose of God, the only way it's coming is through my death and through my resurrection. Jesus was at the center of the procession And people were shouting, praise God, son of David, blessing on the one who comes in the name of the Lord, praise God in the highest heaven. The entire city of Jerusalem was in an uproar. And as he entered it, they said, who is this? And they answered the crowd, it's Jesus. Someone say, it's Jesus. The prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. The harassed and the confused and the helpless sheep of the crowds. They lacked a loving, life-giving leader ignored by their leaders who were more concerned with maintaining the status quo, buffering their own pocketbooks, being at the right dinners with the right audience and onlookers so that those who had power could keep it and those who didn't, didn't come into any, those that were in particular vulnerable and weak and the poor. Jesus is saying, I'm coming to overturn all of the systems of injustice that has man at the center and not the king of God's own choosing, Jesus. The crowds were victims of their surroundings and situations, and they were unaware that another way of being human was even possible. And so Jesus' prophetic act on this day, we celebrate Palm Sunday, was to say everyone's going on notice. No more. Things will forever be different from this day forward. There is a new way to relate to God through me. Let me say that again. There is a new way to relate to God through me. And it's no surprise that Jesus showed this compassion, not just the last week of his life, good for of 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 Palm Sunday, but he showed it throughout his entire ministry. And how many know he continues to show the same concern and care for the crowds, for the brokenness of humanity? Never for a moment is Jesus, if you read the Gospels, which I challenge you, read through the Gospel of Mark this week. It's 16 chapters, whatever Bible reading plan you're in. Mark is the only Gospel that sort of gives us time and day markers throughout all of Holy Week. I'm really thankful the Holy Spirit inspired him and then Peter, the storyteller, to do that because it's cool. Mark spends eight chapters sprinting and then eight chapters unfolding all of the events of Holy Week. Never for a moment, if you read that challenge this week, Mark, is Jesus ever preoccupied with himself? Come on, somebody. Never is Jesus working his own angle for his own means. Never do we see Jesus looking out for number one. He is the selfless, sacrificially loving, good shepherd who is incessantly devoted to seeking out the lost, healing the broken, forgiving the sinner, and setting the lonely and the ostracized and the outcast right in the middle of his pasture with other sheep so that they can flourish and be a part of family too. And Palm Sunday is when Jesus comes prophetically and says, I am the shepherd, I am the leader, the king of not only Israel, because the king of Israel was to rule and bless the world, read Genesis 12. I am the loving leader that is welcoming every bound, broken lime. Read the Beatitudes, the poor, the hungry, the meek, the mild, those who would never get invited to any party. I'm inviting into my family to acknowledge and live under my canopy and my blessing and my leadership if you will respond 
to my extension, ex, ex, invitation to grace and the mercy. I am the good shepherd, Jesus said. I know my own sheep and they know me. Just as my father knows me and I know the father, so I sac, look at this, man. There's never been a leader like him. I sacrifice my life for the sheep. Amen. Come on. <laughs> look at this, though. I've got other sheep, too. Come on, someone say, he's got more. I must bring them in also. Yes, it's talking about the Gentiles and, you know, obviously, in, in, just read John chapter 12. It's two chapters later. But I think it's about there's sheep in this city. There's sheep in your family. Come on, somebody. There's sheep. Maybe you're married to them. Maybe it's your son or daughter. But there's sheep that the shepherd's got to bring into his sheepfold. They will. Someone say, they will listen to my voice. Come on. And there will be one flock with one shepherd. So if you're here today and you've given up a hope on maybe one of your sheep that have wandered away, today is the day to up again the kingdom hope that comes, not from wishful thinking, but looking to the good shepherd who weeps over the crowds. And he says, I'm going to pray and someone's going to be sent out into that harvest field to be my bearer of good news, to demonstrate and declare the goodness of the good shepherd. And I will seize their hearts through my grace and my love and I'll bring them into my sheepfold. That's good news for somebody today. The Father loves me because I sacrificed my life so I may take it back again. No one, he says, can take my life from me. He didn't roll up on Jerusalem and find himself tripped up by his own prophetic acts and then whoops, I ended up on a cross. Did you know that every step was a volitional choice? <laughs> every step. I have the authority to lay it down when I want to and to take it up. This is what my Father has commanded me. Look at our passage again. What is the solution to the mass of confused and helpless humanity? And more particular, he said to his disciples, the harvest is, but the workers are Look at that language. The harvest is, but the workers are. So pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest. Ask him to send out workers into his field. As we're on the cusp of Easter Sunday, how many have ever met a CEO? I'm not hating, but church and Easter only. Do we have any CEOs? Y'all know any CEOs? Who has been a CEO in their history? Come on, let's be honest. I've been, who's been, a, okay, let's be real together. We're a family. Church and Easter only. Beloved, there is a mass of humanity. There is a mass of humanity waiting be, to be tapped and waiting to be invited to where there is living bread being served. <laughs> They're waiting to be invited, to be told where to go, where there is a well that has life-giving water. Amen. So pray to the Lord. The Lord looks at the crowds and he knows that his own, he limits himself when he assumes the body of a human. And he knows in his ministry that this thing, this agenda 
to bring the confused and the helpless into his family and under his leadership, it will not be done by him alone. It'll be done through him alone, but not by him alone. Come on, somebody. There's a difference there. By him, through him alone, not by him alone. He says, disciples, I'm engaging you for the work of going and helping make the mess of the crowd come into alignment with my purposes by being sent out and living and showing and sharing that there is another way to be human. There's another way. There's another way. My way. Jesus' way. It doesn't say, it says the harvest is great. So what should we do? We should pray to the Lord who's in charge of the harvest. So right now, Lord, I pray, I pause, that you would send forth workers this week as, Lord, we are on an unprecedented day culturally. The crowds, the mass of humanity, the, uh, the mile-high mound of opinions and theories and ideas and assessments. Lord, we ask, Lord of the harvest, send forth workers into the harvest field, even this week. Lord, and the people in our lives of whom we have influence. And Lord, may we be those who point and bring people to life that is found in Jesus, amen. amen. He does not say pray for the harvest. How many know that the harvest is already ready? No, come on, it's the Bible, it's in there. You can't change it. Pray to the Lord to send out workers into his field. Ask the Lord to move on the hearts of his people, those that are following Jesus, to be sent out into the fields to work, to do the work of gathering the confused, helpless, and harassed sheep without a shepherd to Jesus and to his family. Where do you think your harvest field is? Think for 30 seconds. Where is your field? Where's your field? I would contend that probably your most regular field where you spend the majority or two-thirds of your life would be your workplace. Those that you rub shoulders with every day. So many of us are thinking, gosh, I don't work in a field. Well, there you go. Who has a job? We at work. We're with people constantly. We live in apartment complexes or homes or neighborhoods. We are always being sent into a field. The question is, are we walking with the understanding that the confusion and the helplessness that we see all around us, that God might just tap you on the shoulder to bear witness to the one who can straighten our mess out? Yes. Jesus himself. Where do you think workers spend the majority of their day, laborers, at work? And so who wants God to grip their heart with a fresh vision for your workplace and for your colleagues and your coworkers? Who wants, who, who wants God to just come and, and give you eyes to see that they're more than just people you rub shoulders with on a day-to-day -day basis? They're those for whom Jesus loves and longs for them to know him. And you might just be in their life, not just to be a buddy, as important as being a buddy is, but to be a witness, to be one who says, hey, I'm not the bread, but I know where the oven is and what they're cooking, and it's life every time you take a bite. You can be an inviter. Let others who have a gift and a call, to, not everyone's gonna, you preach with your life and we can debate that later after the service. But listen, God just wants you to be faithful where you're planted to have eyes to see the harvest that he sees. And then you just say, God, whatever I got, it's yours for your glory in this context. But Jesus is issuing an invitation to all of humanity. Let's read this together in closing. Come to me, all of you together, who are weary and carry heavy burdens, 
and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I'm humble and gentle at heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear and the burden I give you is that good news to anybody else today? Jesus is saying, come to me, you who are bogged down and burnt out on endless religious self-righteous, get your act together, earn your way to heaven games. Yeah. Come on, come on. Jesus is saying, come to me, you who are exhausted on the edge of giving up on life. Come to me and find rest from the confusion that perpetually gnaws at your sense of helplessness of being a victim to your surroundings and situations and unhealthy, destructive mindsets. Come to me. Take my lifestyle upon you. Learn directly from me how to live and how to flourish. I am humble and I'm a gentle guide, a teacher who doesn't give you instruction that I did not first embody and make a way for you to obey forward through me and through my grace. I'm a teacher that's got your best interest in mind. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. My teachings, my lifestyle, no, they're not after behavior modification. The grace of my my goodness will seep into your heart and the lifestyle of Jesus will begin to bubble from inside out of you as you learn a new way to be human, rightly aligned with me and the good, as the good shepherd of your life. I don't start outside in. I'm not just after to change a behavior. I'm after to transform you into an all of life worshiper and the fruit of which produces a life of radical joy. I'm after transformation not modification. Come on, someone say transformation. Not, I'm not just trying to fix your problem. I'm trying to remake you from the inside out. Praise God. So, last page. Help me out, Justin. I gotta skip a bunch because I'm done. Let me get there. Cool. I know where I'm at now. What field is the Lord? I, sent, I asked you this right here. Thank you. So here's some questions as we close and reflect. Maybe you can write them down on that note page we printed or whatever you'd use. My question for you is, what field has the Lord sent you into? Think about your neighborhood or your friendships or your networks. Let the Holy Spirit show you their faces. It's okay to engage your imagination. How many know he gave it to us for a reason? All senses. What field has the Lord sent you to? It'd be great to have an answer to that. Another question. Have you taken the yoke of Jesus as your own way of life? Or are you still trying to govern and call the shots? How many know the end of that road and the whole way on that road is exhausting? And many of us, school of hard knocks. Does anyone have a PhD from that school? <laughs> Come on. Have you signed up for the lifelong class under the teacher's guidance and instruction? Let's get more personal. Are you or is someone into whom the Lord has sent you under the confusion and helplessness that comes from living life without a shepherd to guide their life? Does someone come to your mind? If it does, say amen. Yeah. Someone in your life, that, that immediately someone comes to your mind. 
they come to your mind because the Lord wants you to first start praying for them and believing that there's another way possible for them. Maybe you're today and you're in confusion or helplessness. And I want you to know this week, as there is a, a spiritual, general spiritual openness, that God, let's read, this, let's read this amazing passage. God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. Whoa, that's a good word. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he, uh, and he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. How many know it's wonderful? So we are Christ's ambassadors. God's making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. That last line again, come back to God. Who needs to come back to God today? How many know it is not 50 steps, it's like a quarter step turn and he runs to meet you on the way. Come on, has anyone experienced that grace of God? Who needs to have that relationship restructured, revived today. Maybe you've been living too long under confusion and maybe in your helplessness you've been looking down and in instead of out and up to the one who alone can save and heal and help. Who needs it? Who needs to be brought back to God? You can today. Who is confused? The good news is today there is a counselor. Come on, somebody. Who is helpless? Oh, it's supposed to work good. Here we go. Right, come on. There is a healer today. Come on. Who is stuck in sin? There is a savior today. Who is wandering aimlessly without a plan or purpose in your life? There is a shepherd today who is saying, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy burden, and I and I alone will give you rest. Come to me. Come to me. Come to me. What if this week as we celebrate Palm Sunday, that the king who is the good shepherd, who alone is sufficient to guide us in paths of hope and healing. What if there was someone this week we were meant to invite, not just on Easter Sunday, although that's a great week to invite somebody, but to be an inviter by nature. Do you know what I mean by that? I'm going to get a bite to eat. Come along. I'm going to get a coffee. Come on. I'm going to the ball game. Come along. Just inviting those under confusion and helplessness, those who aren't even aware of their need for a good shepherd to guide and to lead their life. Become an inviter and watch what God will do. How many know that in the kingdom so many times, and this is the Gospels 101, so much more is caught than it is taught. Even if you're not overtly, this is the gospel, you're a sinner. No, don't start there. Please start with God is good and he loves the world and he's after a relationship. Amen. Get to sin later because it is central. But how many know his first word is not to, anyway, I'm, gonna, I'm getting off my notes. I'm done. <laughs> Who are those in your life that need this? in my life that need this. Grab your pen right now. Write their name down. Maybe it's in, you're in this room. Just write it down. We want to do real work today. Say, Jesus, show me. Just show me somebody. Jesus said, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send forth workers. What if you and I this week and every week were a part of Jesus' own prayer an answer, being sent out to the confused and helpless masses 
with the life-giving message of being reconciled to God through Jesus. Practical takeaway. We printed out, and I'll, I'll, I'll send, I'm gonna, I've been trying to send out emails every Sunday that have message recaps, and I'll send this PDF. You'll have my word today. There's a simple acronym. Where do I start? I'm just, I'm freaked out. I don't even know what to do. It's a simple acronym, BLESS. Everyone say BLESS. bless. Thank you. The B stands for begin praying. How many know prayer is not our last resort? It is our first and middle and end and all in between resort. Constant dialogue with God. Begin praying for those, maybe you're here today, that God would begin to open their eyes of their understanding, give them a spiritual craving and a hunger, bring an awareness of their need for Jesus. The B stands for begin with prayer. Who can do that one? Almost all of us. Praise God. It will be all of us. All of us can do that one. Number two, listen. Whoa, that's a good one. L, listen. Listen to their stories their sins, their struggles, out of, a heart, out of the heart the mouth speaks. Did you know that applies not just to believers, but to everyone? Do you want to have a, a real quick insight into what someone's condition is like? Listen to their words. In the workplace, in your neighborhood, be a listener. Out of praying, listen. Number three, my favorite one. Huh. E stands for eat. Come on, can I get a witness from anybody in the house today? The average person, and I'm not an average person, has 21 meals a week. Some of us have 25, 26, 27 meals a week. Just depends. The E stands for eat strategically with those who don't know God. Hey, let's grab a lunch together. Hey, come on over, throw a potluck, do something fun. How many know the way to every person's heart, in particular a man's heart, is through food? We all said amen. This first S of bless stands for show the love of Jesus in tangible ways. Who can do that one? Serve, make the phone call, write a letter, drop a line, drop an email, Facebook, doesn't matter. Show the love of Jesus. And then the last S finally, share the story of how Jesus has transformed your life. How many know one of the greatest things God uses is the power of a testimony? I need more help than that. Then one of the greatest, if he can do it in me, he can do it in anybody. I was a jerk. I was jacked up, bound and broken, but the grace of God changed my life, and he can change yours. And then patiently, humbly look for those on your journey for whom you can love. Could you stand with me? I want everyone to grab their smartphones or whatever you write with. Everyone doing something. Grab your smartphone, grab that pen, grab your paper. Come on up, Leah. You can just play in the background if you don't mind. And just say, Holy Spirit, how, how are you calling me and drawing me to respond today? And if it's a word, if it's a sentence, whatever it is, just write that thing down. A tangible takeaway. A tangible takeaway. And just say, Lord Jesus, help me through your grace and spirit to walk in this path that you've called me to walk this week. Help me not just to be a hearer of the word, but a doer of it. Lord, 
let the grace of God move me to obedience this week. And just by show of hands, no shame in the house. Man, I hope we're breaking through that barrier every week. But who's today and you're saying, Chatty, I'm struggling. I'm one of those sheep that are confused. Could you just raise your hand nice and high? You're walking a little bit in confusion. Come on, nice and high, you guys. No shame. This is so safe. There's plenty, I mean, plenty of hands. Right now, just if you're around someone with hands raised, can you just pray, God, I ask that you bring them clarity just for 15 seconds. You don't have to pray long prayers. Jesus, give them clarity. Reveal the gospel to them today. He is not the God of confusion. Come on, somebody say amen to that. He is the God of wisdom and revelation. He is the God of clarity. He is the God who makes the cloudy funkiness clear through his grace and by his spirit. So confusion in Jesus' name, we ask that you would leave. We ask for the wisdom and provision of God to take residence in our hearts and our minds and our spirit and our relationships. God, where we're confused by listening to all these voices and all of these influences, we pray in the name of Jesus to zero in on the voice of the good shepherd today. To zero in on the voice of the shepherd who calls us come. Come. By show of hands, who in this place would say, Chatty, I'm that helpless sheep I'm in a situation, I'm in over my head, and I'm, it only gets worse the harder I try in my own strength. Can you raise your hand today? If that's you, you're in a place of helplessness. Don't be ashamed. Man, if you're with someone who's saying, I've got a helpless situation, put your hand on their shoulder and just say, God, you are the God of breakthrough. You're the God who helps the helpless. Nice and high, Lord, right now in our helplessness. on time. You know how to bring breakthrough. In our helplessness, Lord, we look up and we receive heaven's perspective, heaven's power, heaven's provision. In our helplessness, Lord, we cry out to you, Hosanna, which means save us. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed be the Lord who comes to save, comes to heal, comes to rescue and deliver. Hosanna, save us, oh God. And who would say, Chatty, I'm making a mess because I'm taking the reins instead of Jesus. If that's you, raise your hand and just say, today is a fresh day of surrender. It might be all of us. I struggle with it too. Can we just all say today, Jesus, I want you to lead my life to be the good shepherd. Just right where you're at, say, Jesus, I want you to guide my life. I want you to lead my life. And one of the ways we learn to follow him is in community with other Christ followers. Maybe I've been fickle with church or whatever. Lord, I want to be with those who are following after you so I can learn how to follow you too. God, put that in our hearts today. Finally, and in closing, 
who knows that maybe there is someone this week to whom the Lord is sending you to just be a witness of God's love and kindness. Could you raise your hand? If you see someone in your mind's eye, it's okay, you're not. We just say right now, God, if you're standing by somebody, ask God's grace to be upon their life. He said, I will give you power to be my witnesses, to bear witness to my love and my grace. So Lord, we ask that you would just unleash power and grace on your people this week. As we scatter from this place, sent into the field that is ripe, may we go expecting you to move in powerful ways. person to person, please come, but I want to just give us this benediction as some need to go. It's found in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 20. Listen to the language. It's everything we talked about today. Now may the God of peace, confused and helpless, remember, back from the dead, our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, <laughs> by his blood of the covenant, eternal, make you complete in everything good, so that you may do his will, working among us that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever, amen and amen. If you receive that, can you say amen today? God bless you as you're dismissed. Come forward if you need prayer. We'd love to pray and believe with you for anything that you're facing today.